Now behold, two of them were travelling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. That's around 11 kilometres. And they talked together of all those things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you are sad? Then the one whose name was Clopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we are hoping that it, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and a certain woman of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had, had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going to, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together.
saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Um, well, I uh, don't know if you've had this experience. Most, I suspect most of us have. Um, where you kind of you put your hope in something uh, only to have this moment. You know the moment when the thing you've hoped in, you realise that your hopes are just dashed. They're, they're gone. I have this moment quite regularly um, when I watch sports, particularly I, coming from the eastern states, I um, like watching real football, rugby union. That's all right. <laughs> uh, but... My normal experience of watching the Wallabies, right, the, uh, the National Rugby Union team, my normal experience goes a little bit like that. I, I, I hear that uh, the, the match is on and I get excited and I look forward to uh, having a, having a go watching the, t- watching the game. And then you know, reality sets in, the All Blacks smash them again and my hopes get dashed every time. But of course, friends, I mean, there are far more significant ways that our hopes uh, can be dashed, aren't there? Dashed hopes, it seems to me, can be most painful when they have to do with relationships, with people that we know, with relationships that we invest uh, our time and energy and love into and with people who uh, don't live up to our expectations uh, or times in which we don't live up to our own expectations. If we're not careful, this can kind of turn into a a kind of permanent dashing of hopes, if you know what I mean, a, a hardening of hearts, Um, that refuses to open up to be vulnerable because dashed hopes just hurt too much. We're looking at two people today who had experienced something extraordinary, something amazing, something that would soften the hardest of hearts. Right? They had lived with Jesus. They had walked around with him. They had heard him say incredible things and seen him do amazing things. They would put such hopes in this man. In Jesus. But then, as we sort of focused on last week, right? Uh, after that confusing and terrifying week that finished uh, uh, with the cross, uh, there, uh, the, with Jesus' brutal torture and execution, uh, you can just imagine how dashed these hopes were. Right? You know, we find out later in the passage that these two. They'd heard about, they'd been there, uh, what we looked at last week when the women came back to report what had happened to them when they went to the tomb, uh, the empty tomb, the vision of angels. But it seems like they're in the group back in verse 11. If you've got your Bibles open, you can see it there. The group back in verse 11 who don't believe the women. Uh, And they're in the dark. They're discouraged, they're confused. But after one of the most incredible walks in history, I mean, it's amazing, right, this walk that they went on. After one of the most incredible walks in history, their hearts are transformed from being depressed to set alight, set on fire. It's an incredible transformation. I hope you're uh, sort of looking forward to journeying through it with me. And if you have your leaflet there in the middle, there's a bit of an outline of where we're going. That might be helpful. Uh, but we, uh, we start the passage we looked at today with these two disciples. As they leave Jerusalem, they've left the other disciples gathered together. They've heard this bizarre thing the women said and not believed. Uh, they've left and they're heading to a place called Emmaus. 
Uh, we don't know why they were walking there. The best guess is probably that's, that's where they lived. They were heading home. It was about a two or three hour walk away, about 11 kilometres. And as you expect, they used the walk, the long walk, to chew over what's happened, to, to, to discuss what's just happened in the week leading up to this. So they set out, and before long, they realised that someone's coming up behind them. It's sort of an, a bit of an awkward thing when someone slowly get, catches up to you from behind. Well, they realise this is happening. Uh, this person catches up to them uh, in verse 15, and it's so great, right? Like, as readers, we know what's going on here. We know that it's Jesus. These, these two men are talking about Jesus' brutal death and execution. They're talking about their hopes being dashed because of what had happened, only to have Jesus right there with them turn up right beside them and join the conversation. You kind of want to shout, he's behind you, you know, it's him, he's right there. But we're told in verse 16 that they're kept from recognising who Jesus was. Jesus has something important to teach them and he's waiting for just the right moment. So he catches up to them in verse 17 and he asks, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And this is really interesting uh, the question kind of stops them in their tracks. If you notice, there's this little uh, phrase that says they stopped. I, I probably would have expected them just to keep walking. But it's as if when they're asked this question, the reality of what's just happened sort of sinks into them. Uh, they realise how devastated they are and they just stop. They stand still and we're told their faces are downcast. One of them, a guy named Cleopas, he can't believe that this stranger hasn't already heard. <laughs> hasn't heard. Uh, he can't believe that anyone could be in the vicinity of Jerusalem and not have heard of the events that had happened. It was such big news. And he says, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened these days? And Jesus plays along. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's playing along to kind of be mean to them and egg them on. Uh, I reckon, uh, I think he's playing along because he's taking the opportunity to teach them something incredibly important, something that they desperately need to know. And you can kind of, I, I imagine he may be holding back a smile if you look at verse 19 as he asks, oh, what things? <laughs> what things? The guy who's been at the centre of it all, right? <laughs> this guy who's been at the centre of the whole week, the one who everyone's talking about, he says, oh, right, there's been a, you know, something happened in Jerusalem the last few days. Tell me more. And then he goes on from verse 19, the, the, the men go on, uh, about Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm, says Jesus. Uh, tell me more about this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. They go on, you can read it there. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. These two guys walking along the road have faces that are downcast, hearts that are discouraged. You see, for them, 
the terrible events of the week that they've just gone through were kind of like the final nail in the coffin of their hope. They'd opened themselves up to believing that this guy was different, that he could do something incredible. They had hoped in verse 21, we just read, that Jesus would redeem Israel. Now Israel was a people under political oppression, right? They were an occupied state. They were a people that God had given incredible promises to, amazing promises, that he would come and act to save his people, to defeat their enemies, to bring in his kingdom. And they thought, these guys, they thought Jesus was the one. They thought he was the one who was going to do this, the one who'd lead them to freedom and victory. So when Jesus dies, their hopes are just dashed, right? How can we hope anymore when the greatest man that's ever lived, the one who was supposed to set us free, just went down like everyone else? Their hopes are dashed. Well, friends, Jesus has heard enough at this point. He's heard enough by verse 25, and now it's his turn to speak. And it's worth asking, just pausing at this point, what would you expect Jesus to say? I kind of would have expected, if I was Jesus, I'd probably jump out in front of them and say, hey guys, ta-da, <laughs> it's me! Look at all the cool stuff I can do. I can walk through walls. And, you know. uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't reveal who he is just yet. Besides the questions that he asks right at the start, sort of you know, playing along, who is this and what's happening, besides those questions, this is really important, friends. What is the first thing that Jesus says and does with these disciples? He's just been raised as the Lord of all creation. He has just defeated all sin and death. And what's the first thing he does? You can see it in verses 25 to 27. He does a Bible study with them. <laughs> he does a Bible study with them. That's it. No cool tricks, no showing off, walking through walls. The risen Lord's top priority is to do a Bible study. <laughs> now, I don't know your experience of Bible study. Um, possibly a mixed one. I remember one group I was in years ago. We met in a house, and this house had really comfy lounge chairs, right? Which is, you know, you can probably see what's coming. As soon as, uh, and I soon learned that these really comfy chairs were deadly, okay? They were absolutely deadly. Uh, sinking back into this super comfortable lounge chair, you kind of had to, every now and again, snap yourself uh, forward to wake yourself up. And I was the one leading the study, so you can imagine how, how tired everyone else was and how sleepy they were. It, <laughs> But I imagine it was quite a different scenario on the road to Emmaus, right? Don't you think? Quite a different Bible study. Jesus says to them in verse 25, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Or a more literal translation, How foolish and slow in heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. These two travellers 
they began with discouraged hearts, downcast faces. But Jesus tells them they're not just victims of their own emotional state. Right? They're not just victims of their own emotional state. They're, these guys, their hearts are actually foolish and slow to believe what they knew to be true. The key to all this and what's blocking them from believing what they know to be true is what they say back in verse 21. Back in verse 21, they're telling this stranger what's just happened. And they say, Jesus was crucified, but we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. See, for these guys, they think these are two mutually exclusive things, right? They think either uh, Jesus redeems Israel, Israel's great king and redeemer, or he dies. Jesus died, so obviously he can't be, he can't be Israel's redeemer. They thought redemption of God's people was primarily a political thing, right? Freedom from their Roman oppressors, and a dead Jesus was no good to them for that cause. Uh, friends, they didn't, they didn't understand how deeply they needed to be redeemed. How deeply they needed to be redeemed. Redemption is about slavery. It's about freeing slaves. And Cleopas thought his slavery was sort of external to himself, a political slavery. But his real slavery was spiritual, internal, his slavery to sin. And if he'd seen that, he wouldn't have said, but at the start of verse 21. See what I'm saying there? He wouldn't have said buts. Jesus was crucified, but he was going to redeem Israel. No. Jesus was crucified, and his crucifixion was him redeeming God's people. He was freeing God's people, not just national Israel, but anyone, regardless of race or culture or background or whatever, Anyone who had faith in him, he was freeing them from their slavery, not to a political overlord, but to the world's great eternal enemies, to sin, to evil, to death itself. And if their hearts were not foolish and slow to believe all that the prophets had written, they would have seen that. The Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter into his glory. It wasn't outside of God's plan. It wasn't a failure. Now, friends, we're not told where Jesus went uh, to, in the Jewish scriptures to make this point. We're not told sort of which passage. Uh, there are many passages that he could have gone to, passages like you'll be familiar perhaps with Isaiah 53, that great passage that talks about a suffering and rising servant. And I imagine Jesus may have gone to some of these. But what's really important here is verse 27. See it there? Verse 27, beginning with Moses, that's kind of shorthand for the first five books of the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explains what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, he's only got a couple of hours, right? <laughs> he's only got a couple of hours, so what's going on here? He doesn't just pull out the purple passages uh, picking out ones that might suit him, he says something much more amazing than that. All the scriptures, the whole story of God's relationship with his world, 
focused in on his people Israel, the whole thing from Genesis right through to Malachi, Jesus says, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And this is a stunning and incredible claim. And we'll come back to it at the end. Jesus is saying here that he is the centre, the fulfilment, the climax of the entire story of God and his world. But back to our story in Luke 24. Uh, These guys still don't know who they're talking to at this point after this incredible Bible study. So uh, if you can see it there in verse 28, they get to Emmaus. And the two disciples urge Jesus to stay with them for the night. They want to hear more from this guy. So they go in. And then at dinner, Jesus does something quite unexpected. Usually it's the host who would break the bread. But you notice uh, here that Jesus is the one who does it. Jesus breaks the bread. And he does exactly what he did, uh, what's recorded for us back in chapter 22, at the Last Supper before his crucifixion. He takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it and starts to hand it out. And finally, the penny drops for these guys. Finally, the penny drops. You can picture the moment, right? Uh, They were downcast and discouraged by the tragic events of last week. But this stranger has just told them this most incredible story about how the whole scripture, the whole story of God and his world, (laughs) all of it... The whole story was actually leading up to that last week that they've just gone through. To that cross and to that empty tomb that the women had told them about. The incredible story of how the Messiah had to suffer and enter his glory. And up to this point, if I was these guys, I imagine they probably would have been thinking, who is this guy, who is this guy we're walking along with? How, can he, how does he know all this? And then when Jesus finally breaks the bread, they get it. It's Jesus, the one it's all been about, the centre of human and world history, (laughs) and they've just been walking alongside him for the last couple of hours. And they didn't know it. And then, just like that, Jesus disappears. He's gone. But these two get it at last. Uh, Jesus has just given them the best Bible study in the world. Uh, And they say to each other in verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he, op- he, while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So they get up straight away. And re- remember, at this time, it's evening, so it's dark, it's dangerous to travel, but they don't seem to care. They go straight back to Jerusalem, back to the rest of the disciples. And this is a great storytelling again, isn't it? Uh, while they've been behind, there's a bit of a backstory here that we're not told, but we find out at this point. Uh, so these two go back to the other disciples, and these dis- the other disciples have had their own penny-dropping moments. Um, Cleopas and his friends sort of excitedly open the door, but before they can even get a word out, the others that they're, that they're going to meet, the others blurt out, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So apparently at some point Jesus had also appeared to Simon, uh, the other name for the apostle Peter. And you can imagine this scene, can't you? These two groups meeting, the wonder, the sort of joy, the adrenaline, the overflowing joy that they would have felt. It's true. The Lord has risen. Well, friends, there's so much we could talk about, I think, from this passage. It's a great story, isn't it? 
Incredible. Um, but we're going to zero in on one really important thing. And we mentioned it earlier, but it's worth thinking some more about. Why is it that Jesus waited to show who he was to these guys? Why didn't he relieve them of their anxiety straight away? You know. And why did he do a Bible study of all things when he'd just risen from the dead? The answer is, and I think it's an answer that I, I, we need to hear over and over again because we forget it too often. I think the answer is that Jesus wanted them and he wants us to know just how beautiful, just how amazing, just how breathtaking the Bible is. Well, here at Trinity South Coast, we're unashamed Bible people. Okay, If you're new amongst us, you're very welcome. It's really good to know that. We're unashamed Bible people. But here's the thing. According to Jesus, just reading the Bible is not the end of the story. We need to read it the way it's meant to be read. We need to read it Jesus' way. See, friends, there are lots of ways that you can read the Bible. Uh, You can read it primarily as a source of inspiration, kind of like the ultimate collection of hallmark greeting card sort of response. Nuggets of inspiration to get you through your day. Well, the Bible is incredibly inspiring, isn't it? There are wonderful verses throughout it that beautifully capture incredible realities. But if inspiration is the main thing we're looking for, we're not reading our Bibles the way Jesus did. You can read it as a source of moral guidance, a kind of series of examples, the characters through the stories of the Bible, a series of examples or uh, to follow or laws to obey. And again, the Bible speaks so powerfully about morality and about the moral structure of the universe and the world that God's made. But if the main thing we're looking for is moral guidance, we're not reading the Bible like Jesus did. You can read the Bible kind of like a code book, you know, searching for hidden symbols and dates and numbers that talk about events in the world. The Bible does contain signs, but according to Jesus, they all point at one thing, or rather, at one person. They're all pointing at him. So if we're looking for them to point anywhere else, we're not reading our Bibles like Jesus did. At Trinity South Coast, we love the Bible not primarily because it gives us inspiration or guidance or secrets. We love it because it shows us Jesus. We love it because it shows us Jesus. Because it's primarily not a book about what we do. It's first and foremost a book about God, the story of what he has done for his world in Jesus. What he continues to do by his spirit to bring people to faith in Jesus and what he will do in the future as Jesus' kingdom is finally and fully established in a new world, free from everything that's evil, free from all sin and death. And once we join with those first eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, once we can say with them, it's true, the Lord is risen, then we'll start reading the Bible in a way that makes our hearts burn within us. 
just like those two travellers. If we're reading the Bible the way Jesus reads it, if we, if we catch a glimpse of this great story that's about him, God's big picture, it'll take our breath away and it'll set our hearts on fire as well. Next week we're going to look at how this great story didn't just leave the disciples with burning hearts but it kind of swept them up and we're going to think a little bit about how it can sweep us up too in this story, this great story that's all centred and fulfilled in Christ. But uh, to finish up today, friends, what, what do we want for Trinity South Coast, this new church? Well, we are a Bible church. We're a Bible church. In some circles, uh, you can come across that it's, it's, it can come across as a bit of an insult. But if we're reading our Bibles the way Jesus did, being a Bible church is something to crave. A community that loves the Bible because we love the one who it's all about, the one who first loved us, Jesus. A community whose hearts are set on fire by this incredible story of Jesus' death and resurrection who want to know it better and deeper for the rest of our lives. A church gripped and shaped by our risen Lord Jesus who's the centre and sum of it all. That's uh, what we want for Trinity South Coast. If you can pray with me, let's pray. Father, this is such an incredible story that we read in Luke 24 of Jesus meeting these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We thank you for the way that he opened their eyes to the scriptures to see how it's all pointing to him, this great, incredible story of salvation, your great redemption of your people, the victory you've won over sin and death and evil. We pray, Father, that you will help us to be captivated by this story, the story that we read of in the Bible, in such a deep and profound way that it sets our hearts on fire as well. And we pray that for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.